Okay, friends, this is gonna be, I think, really good. Let's go. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Deep Dive Bible Study. My name is Tim. I'm your host. If you hit the like and the subscribe button and the notification bell to get notified every time we go live, that would be a real huge blessing to me, to the channel, bringing this content to you. This is a wonderful labor of love. I absolutely enjoy what I do on this channel. Last night, Deep End, we talked about something that I believe pertains to tonight's Deep Dive. So we are in Deep Dive Torah study part five, and I don't say this often, but this one is a can't miss. This one is an important episode, perhaps one of the most important episodes that I have to offer you. And the reason is very simple is because what we're going to talk about today on the deep dive is fundamental to who we are as a society, as a community, as a nation. If you destroy the family, you destroy a nation. And uh, by destroy, I mean you redefine a nation. And that is that is what we are experiencing. That is the cultural revolution that we are happening right now. And we are in number five of the Ten Commandments. And you might know what that one is. I'll tell you what it is. It's about parents. It's about honoring fathers and mothers. And so with that in mind, let's get started. The Deep Dive, Season 7 Okay, so the plan for the next few weeks, and I want to unpack this for a reason, because I, I want to give you the directions where we're going for the next few episodes. Number one, today, commandment number five. Number two, next week's episode, we will deal with commandments uh, six through nine there, as you see on the screen. And then we're going to take a break for a week because I have a church service on Tuesday nights with my church. And so that will be coming up after that week. We will do that the following week. And I'm just adjusting things all over the place tonight. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> there we go. Much better. So that will happen on November 8th. Then we will have our first episode of Difficult Passages on November 15th, we would deal with the passage on the captured girl. So when Israel goes into war against her enemies and they see a young girl and they want to take her as their wife and, you know, <laughs> it looks bad on the page. And good preachers will admit that looks bad to our modern sensibilities. And so that's going to happen on November 15th. You say, why are you telling me this now? Because I want you to make sure I want to make sure that you know where we're going, that you are anticipating where we're going, that you tune in every week. But um, most importantly, Maybe some of you, and I don't advise this, but you say, well, I really want to get to those difficult passages because that's what I was looking forward to in the study. Well, that's when it's going to start. It's going to start November 15th. But today is just as important. Next week is just as important. November 8th is just as important. But I want you tuned in as to where we are going. When we talk about parents, here's um, an article that came across my desk today, made me sad. The article is from an insider uh, website. Insider website it says, there's never been a better time to be a dink 
<laughs> now, that's funny, right? Dink. But what is a dink? Dink means dual income, no kids. So these are people with no children and money. And this article goes on and states how they have more money than their um, contemporaries with children. In fact, they have a median net worth of almost $400,000, which I think is an astounding amount of money, to be honest with you. I mean, if you have $400,000 net worth, you should be having kids. But that's $100,000 more than it was in 2019. So a lot of that probably from the COVID money, the stimulus relief money, all that stuff that people just kind of saved, put into their bank accounts or into their 401ks or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, it says couples with children have the second highest net worth out of all family structures, 250000 And there's an extra zero there, so ignore that extra zero. But in my opinion, they do deserve that extra zero because children, the scripture says, are a reward, are a heritage from the Lord. You can't put a value on children. You can't put a monetary value on children. It's, 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 it's beyond money, the value that having children, and especially godly children, is in your life. Uh, interestingly enough, that article uh, talks about the fact that childlessness is becoming more common amongst young adults ages uh, 55 to 64, uh, ages 55 to 64, one fifth of them are childless. But the real fact of the matter is that amongst Americans 18 to 49, 44% of them who don't have children say they're unlikely to have any children. And that, that goes all the way down to 18 years old. So there is a disavowal, if you will, of the first commandment, which we talked about on this show. The first commandment is not, you shall have the Lord your God uh, besides me, uh, you shall have no other God beside me. The first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. That's the first literal command words that God told man what to do is in Genesis chapter one It's it's the most important thing. We have to breed. We have to create families. That's otherwise there's no more human beings, but we, it brings us to our modern culture. It brings us to a lot of the societal ills that we are experiencing right now is an abandonment of that command, an abandonment of, of rearing children. And so here on Torah part five, we're going to talk about the importance of parents and children honoring your father and mother. Uh, Dennis Prager, big fan of his. And he says in his book on the Torah, civilization cannot be sustained when parents lose authority over their children. Uh, my sentiments exactly. I 100% agree with this. You need to agree with this too. You need to understand how cultural revolutions happen and they have happened throughout human history. And when we talk about cultural revolutions, which there is a side to the political aisle in America right now that is all in on a uh, overflowing nation-changing cultural revolution that needs to happen right now. A lot of the Black Lives Matter thing, a lot of the Palestinian chants right now in the streets right now, that's the fruit of this cultural revolution that has been brewing under the surface. And, and tonight, I am going to share with you details. I might get a little deep endy tonight. I'm sorry, but these details matter for what is happening in our culture. And I am so excited to share this stuff with you because it's, it's, it's mind-blowing and I can't express it enough. Stay the whole episode. Make sure that you are subscribed and liking the video and hitting the notification bell so that you always know when we go live. But cultural revolutions happen when parents are disconnected from children or children are disconnected from parents. And it's both and, but in the Eastern world, 
It has happened repeatedly where the government, the state, has undermined authority, the authority of parents. All you have to do is go back to the 1950s to uh, Red China. They, um, or, sorry, the 1960s, 70s. The Cultural Revolution that was inspired by Mao Zedong, he used Red Guard youth to question their parents' ideology, to really mock their parents for, according to Mao, holding on to the four olds, the old tradition, old ways, old values. And it was the youth that Mao Zedong uh, leveraged against their parents to bring about a, a sweeping cultural revolution that led to communism and really the economic slowdown of China that was that was the reality of the 1960s and 70s. China was booming up until recently, and that is in large part because the trade opportunities opened up between China and the West. But the propaganda to create co communism in a society was grounded in dividing parents from children, or really from children from parents, um, casting off the vestiges of the old. Let me put this next quote up. This is an astonishing quote, a very shocking quote, and it is from a guy you are very familiar with, Adolf Hitler. Here's what he said. He said, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. And that is a very telling quote from Adolf Hitler. I went online and I found this article from history.com, an interesting article about how Hitler literally took away historic youth organizations and then literally removed them from society so that only Hitler's youth would be where young people went to learn about the world, learn about themselves. And he was against the Boy Scouts, as it says here. Literally uh, amazing uh, uh, to just kind of unpack this. Um, the article says the Nazi party knew that families provide cohesive uh, groups that are not usually under political sway. They were an obstacle to Hitler's goals. The Hitler Youth was a way to get Hitler's ideology into the family unit, and some members of Hitler Youth even denounced their parents when they behaved in ways not appropriate uh, to or not approved by the Reich. So one of his biggest moves, the article explains, was in 1937 when he abolished the Boy Scouts. And uh, in January of 1933, there were 50,000 members of Hitler, Hitler's youth. By the end of the year, there were 2 million Hitler youths. And then after they removed the scouting organizations, the only ways for kids to get scouting experience or to learn life skills was to join Hitler's youth in Germany. And so that by 1939, 90% of German youth were part of Hitler's youth because all other youth programs were dissolved according to the state. This is how a cultural revolution happens. These things matter. And if you look at America, you see the same thing happening in so many ways. Uh, this article from World News Daily says the slow and tragic death of the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, back in 2000, I remember the struggle to include gay leaders was a huge deal. Went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court allowed gay leaders to take over scouting groups. And, and from that point forward, the Boy Scouts became less and less of what they were. Uh, Boy Scouts, learning how to forage, build tents, live outdoors, learning how to be good civil servants, uh, members of society, work together, leaders. Uh, this is a foregone value in American culture. And... 
you look at the roots of its deterioration, it all stems back to a very, very subversive force active in America, something that I take on repeatedly on this channel, but the LGBT movement, subversing marriage, subverting uh, family, children, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and subverting organizations, same organizations that Hitler went after, they go after. And today, this article unpacks how, so far, the uh, scouting organization in America has literally been decimated. Then you look at the educational system. I bring you this article from the Daily Mail. Los Angeles elementary schools with students as young as five will celebrate National Coming Out Day with a week of LGBT lessons, including an identity map activity. Uh, should should schools, I'm asking you now, and you can tell me, should schools be talking to your five-year-old about their sexual proclivities, about celebrating um, adverse sexual proclivities to your faith, to your biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood? This is the, the trend of culture, the subversive undermining of society, and ultimately the separation of children from their parents. Five, think about it. Five-year-olds. Then another article that I have to share with you. Uh, this is from Oregon, the Oregonian. Talks about Oregon again, says students don't need to prove mastery of reading, reading, writing, or math to graduate, citing harm to students of color. I guess for the next five years, Oregon high school diploma will no longer guarantee that the student uh, earned it can read, write, or do math at a high school level. This, this is what you have happening in progressive states, blue states primarily, where you have this dumbing down of the educational system all in the name of equity. So instead of saying, let's change how we teach to empower students to learn, no, let's just remove the standards. This is insane. This is the dumbing down of an entire generation. Ultimately, a generation that is not informed and not educated is a very controllable education uh, uh, society, generation. And that is what is happening. I believe that is the subversive elements uh, born from our, uh, the devil who wants to seek to devour the family, to destroy, to divide children from their parents. This is how you get a cultural revolution. And I bring you even worse news on this regard. And I want it to tie into last night's deep end for a reason, because it's going to have everything to do with what we're talking about on the deep dive uh, tonight. So we discussed a couple weeks ago on the deep end and last night a little bit about how colleges and elite universities have indoctrinated students. And you say, how did this happen? Well, my crack research team finds details that just stun me and then I have to share them with you. Okay, this from the free press, the headline is the following. Just check out the headline. Qatar's war for young American minds. Now, Qatar, as I stipulated, Two weeks ago on the deep end, that's the home base of Hamas's current president. And it is also where Hamas leaders bowed down to Mecca in celebration and worship of Allah after the vicious, violent terrorist attacks upon Israeli citizens and children happened on October 7th. So you have the home base of Hamas in Qatar and look at what's happening. Money is flowing, according to, the, according to this study from the National Association of Scholars, money is flowing from Qatar into American universities. The study found that between 2001 and 2021, the, um, a, a whopping $4.7 billion was donated to U.S. colleges. The largest recipients are some of America's most prestigious institutions of higher learning. These schools have partnered with the regime to build campuses in Doha's educational sit city, that's in Qatar, 
a special district of the capital that hosts uh, satellite colleges for American universities. You say, I can't believe it. Neither can I. Let me give you the details, the receipts. So, since 1997, Qatar donated 130 million, 103 million to Virginia Commonwealth University. Since 2001, they donated 1.8 billion to Cornell for a medical school. Since 2003, they donated 700 million to Texas A&M. 2004, they donated 740 million to Carnegie Mellon. 2005, they donated 760 million to um, Georgetown University. That's since 2005, since 2004, and then since 2008, Qatar has donated 602 million dollars to Northwestern University for a school of journalism. <laughs> oh my! It is starting to make sense. It is starting to make sense, and this should be alarming to you that, that our educational system has been hijacked by the leaders of Qatar, the leaders of Hamas who live in Qatar and have been in conjunction with the Qatarian government to basically form your kids' minds at elite and very expensive universities in America. This is a cultural revolution that is happening right now. And all that I'm sharing, I know, very deep endy so far tonight, but stay with me because it will. It will lead us right to the discussion that we have to have tonight. I'm going to share more details about this on the deep end next to this Tuesday coming up. Please tune in. Please subscribe. Please hit the notification bell because this content, if you get a hold of it, it's going to save your family. But I just want you to think about it. I put this little, I'm going to put a little map here up on the screen to kind of illustrate what we're talking about when it comes to what Dennis Prager said, civilization cannot be sustained when parents lose authority over their children. Here's the graphic that I want to give you. So a parent pays seventy-eight dollars to $82,000 a year to send their little loved ones to Cornell University. Meanwhile, Cornell University taking mom and dad's seventy dollars to $80,000 a year, also taking money from Qatar, um, and then pouring out uh, pro-Palestinian kids, pro-Palestinian adults, or I guess you could call them their adults. They're, they're very immature in how they see the world and very uninformed, but they're not... They're not misinformed because the colleges and universities are doing exactly what the Qatari government wants them to do. And that is separate your children from you, from your values, from Western civilization, from your culture. And, and Christians, hear me, because this is particularly important for Christians. They want to separate your young people from your faith, from your God, from Jesus Christ. Okay, that I know. Deep ND. Pastor Tim, I tune in tonight for the word. And all you're giving me is, you know, current event stuff. And I'm I'm a little bit shaken. I don't like this. Guys, you gotta know what's going on so that you can protect yourself. And then you can understand why God says, commandment number five, you're gonna honor your father and mother. You're gonna honor your father and mother. Exodus 20, verse 12. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Inherent in that text is the reality that God is saying. If this is not right, your civilization is gone. Your civilization crumbles. The Deuteronomy passage 5.16, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So we've got to talk about the relationship between mothers and fathers and children. So let's start. I want to open up with this idea of the original hearers. How did the original hearers listen to this commandment from Mount Sinai through the mouth of Moses? Well, the original hearers were adults in the community with parents who could no longer provide economic assets. Literally all the commentators say this, 
that this is an admonition primarily to care for, respect, and value uh, parents who could no longer support themselves. That's the first and primary um, picture here in the community uh, of Israel. Now, in the 21st century, we have modern medicine. Mom and dad can get modern medicine. They're on Medicare many times and they can get whatever medicines they need. I have a father who has gone beaten cancer twice now and is still alive, praise God. Uh, but we have modern medicine. We have nursing homes. We have modern care facilities for our elderly. We have social security, uh, social safety nets, financial safety nets for older people. But the ancient world did not have those things. The ancient world, your father got sick. It was, it was detrimental to his life. Uh, they couldn't, maybe they lost a limb, maybe they got dysentery, maybe they got, you know, an infection and they lost, you know, the, the use of a body part, who knows what would happen. You are, you are um, susceptible. You are a weak member of society. And the older you get, <laughs> and this is true, the older the get, you get, the more susceptible that you are to these infirmities, the more weak you are. So what does God command? command? You're going to honor the people who gave you life, number one, but you're going to honor the people who are older than you, number two. And then number three, you're going to honor the people who are going where you're going. I want you to think about it in those terms. You're going to honor the people who are headed the way of all the living, as Paul says, or uh, sorry, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, this is the end of all the living, death. We all grow old. We all die. Fabulous chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, where it talks about how your, your <laughs> teeth fall out, your hair falls out, your hands start to shake and your knees start to buckle and your eyes grow dim. Very poetic language. You can read it for yourself. I have a book coming out about Ecclesiastes where we unpack that a little bit more deeply, but he says, this is the way of all the living. So as you grow older and as your parents, as you watch your parents age and get weak, you better keep them in honor. That is the original thought here. So it's actually uh, informing us of the original intent of this command. And the original intent is the weaker members of society will be honored in God's community. This is now, remember, I said the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. The second six commandments deal with our relationship to each other. So we're on the horizontal plane commandments now. The vertical commandments have come down. Now the horizontal plane commandments come. The first one is about who gave you life and who gave them life is their parents. But ultimately, that traces all the way back to Adam and ultimately back to God. So you have in this commandment a bridge from God to us and how we treat each other starts with, I, this is so important, I hope you get it. We've got to treat the weaker members and the members of society that will grow weaker because that's just life. We have to honor them. That, my friends, is the original intention of this law. Uh, really important um framework for reading this properly because this commandment is repeated and is enunciated in several different ways and in both testaments and then further extrapolated in other passages as we're going to talk about tonight. So when we get to Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. A couple things. Number one, he's talking to dads and moms. 
This is important. Let me tell you why that's important. Go back to the fourth commandment. Go back to the fourth commandment. Let's do that on the Logos Bible Cam for a moment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. On it you shall not do any work. Now, look at who's mentioned in who will not do any work. You, okay, uh, you, which is singular, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or female servant, or livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. That, that's who God lists as they will not work. Look at who's missing in the list. The, the word that's missing in the list, maybe you've already picked up on it, is what? Wives. Wives are busy. Because the commandments were given, this is so good, to husbands and wives together. Heads of households together. Now, yes, the New Testament unpacks this. The husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the husband. And there is authority. There's a final authority. The father is ultimately the final authority in the home. And I know that there's this new school of evangelical thought that believes that that's old school and outdated. It is not. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament particularly. Paul unpacks that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But ultimately, you have God speaking to husbands and wives in these commandments. You are going to, husbands and wives, direct your family to not work. And so then the next commandment is now honor husbands and wives, adult Peep, this is, so this brings me to the next point. This is how adults are supposed to live. Husbands and wives, honor your parents. Okay, there's a lot of good reason for that. We're going to get to the, the reasons coming up. There should be reverence exhibited in the home by the adult members and leaders of the home. And the children in the home should see mom and dad show reverence and care and concern for aging parents. Okay, this is how we're supposed to read Torah, just giving you original context so that we can not dumb down this commandment to just, okay, my children should obey me because I'm mom, because I'm dad. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. But there's more to it than that. There's a contextual insight we have to get a hold of. By the way, Moses is speaking to an ancient world where ancestor worship was considered acceptable, if not admonished um, and extolled. So ancestor worship was part of the ancient culture, part of the ancient world. Now, this is kind of interesting because in our modern world, let's be honest, kiddos, young people, listen to me. Who's it easier to honor? Mom and dad or great mom and great uh, grandmom and dad or great grandmom and dad? Who's easier to honor? It's way easier to honor the people that you are disconnected from socially and you only see on weekends or maybe holidays or whatever or birthdays. It's so much easier to love grandma and grandpa than it is to love mom and dad, isn't it? So much easier to honor them and respect them. Now, I know there are, of course, exceptions to every rule and statement that I make. I'm generalizing here. But it's kind of amazing how the commandment strikes right against that. No, you're not going to have this this affinity to honor people who are disconnected from you. You've got to honor those who are most connected to you, the ones who came before you. This is God challenging the human heart, the, the, um, the sinful condition, really. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to share here from this commandment as a kind of way of 
just foundational view is this is a bridge from God to our fellow man. We already talked about that. This is the bridge commandment. Now we're going to go from vertical commandments to horizontal commandments. And isn't it amazing that it deals with how we treat our parents? So this is the foundation. Now let's talk about what it means to honor, because I think a lot of you will immediately say to me, okay, what, is, what does honor mean? And this is hard for me because my parents are hard to honor. And I would like to say that as a pastor, that I have heard that complaint about this commandment growing, not decreasing. I think it's a testimony to the cultural rot in our society. Let me explain. The fact that more and more people find it hard to honor mom and dad makes me ask a simple question. Was it that your parents were really actually bad to you? Or, and stay with me now, is it possible that you have subconsciously, maybe not even, you know, intentionally, but perhaps, you know, <laughs> subconsciously is the only word I can come up with here, inherited a bit of a victim mindset from the culture around you to the point where every infraction and wrongdoing on your parents will always be held against them till the end of time. For instance, just having other children. You hold your parents accountable for having other children and therefore not being able to give you the attention that you want. Or maybe they had a child after you and you went from baby to middle child or baby to oldest child and now you are the resentful older child. Sometimes I believe it is a combination of both. Yes, parents can be awful to their children, but sometimes, and I think it's almost 50-50, children can grow up to be resentful for a victimhood mentality. Oh, my parents did this. Well, really, did they? I, I, little anecdote here. I was watching Everybody Loves Raymond last night. I'm a big sucker for reruns from, <laughs> from old sitcoms. And Raymond was having a crisis, um, an emotional crisis. And the emotional crisis was that he quit piano. His mother taught him piano. He quit piano because his father made fun of him when he was taking piano lessons with his mother. And he kind of hashes this out with his father. And credit to the writers of the episode because the father fights back. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I was too busy, busy taking you to soccer games, taking you to baseball practice, throwing the football with you in the, back of the, in the back of the house, and making sure that you were into sports, which by the way, worked out for you because you, came, you became a very successful sports writer. So, so kudos to the writers for kind of pushing back against that, that, that minor victimhood in Raymond's life there of everything that's wrong with me is because of my parents' fault. And so much of our, of our current psychological analysis is, tell me what your parents did to you. Tell me what your father did to you. And thou, now an entire generation and maybe multiple generations at this point have had this carte blanche ability to blame previous generations for everything wrong in their generation. And I just want to say as a way of practical advice, be careful of how much you blame those who raised you in front of those you are raising because they will someday grow up and do the exact same thing to you. In fact, I can almost guarantee it. I can guarantee it. You know when scripture says, watch how you judge because you will be judged the same way? Yeah, that passage comes to mind here. Watch how you judge your parents and speak about them in front of your children because your children are learning from you how to treat you one day. Have I gotten too heavy too fast? Let's talk about the word honor. The word honor is kavud. 
or kabed, depending on how you uh, pronounce it. It means to be heavy or grievous or hard or rich or honorable. There's a couple of uh, practical ways that this is illustrated in the Old Testament. Eli was a priest of Israel. He was fat. He was overweight. And they called him kavud. Absalom's hair was weighed on a, a scale because it was so heavy, kavud. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The word is kavud. But the figure of speech here in the word is who gets the weight? Who's heaviest in your life? When you're weighing between two opinions, whose opinion carries the most weight in your life. And here's what God is saying in the fifth commandment. I want your parents to carry the weight in your heart. I want them. I want them to be someone that you go to, that you listen to, that you honor, that you reverence. Here's another, here's another point that we can take from the text. Reverence is a godly value for a healthy community. Proverbs 16, 31, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is, a, it is gained in a righteous life. Now, of course, not every old person is righteous. That's not, Proverbs are not a promise. Proverbs are principles. That's what they are. They're wise sayings. And so what, what the what proverb is saying is that usually gray hair is illustrative of someone who lived a healthy life and wise and righteous life. Usually, not all the time, usually. And for that, there should be reverence. There should be respect. There should be a weightiness in your heart to defer to your parents and give them the honor that they deserve because they have lived longer than you. They have done more life than you. I'm just looking at my time here, seeing how far we've gone so far. And I'm I'm imploring you, scripture says, to give them the respect that is due them because they know a little bit more than you. Reverence is a godly value for a healthy community. Okay, going on. This is commended throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. This is in the New Testament in several passages from the mouth of Jesus, from the mouth of Paul, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then he quotes Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother. This is the first the commandment with the promise, the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Colossians 3, 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Little qualifier there about this is the first commandment with the promise. All the commandments are already stipulated with a promise. God has already stipulated in the, in the Torah several times, if you obey these commandments, it will go well with you. So all of them are tied to that promise. But this is the first commandment where God pauses and, and then reinforces that, that promise. If you obey this, you will live long in the land, which is the Torah's way of saying, hey, stop, lean in here, pay attention. I know this one's hard, but this one's important for your life to be blessed. So those are some Old New Testament references to the same commandment, the same idea. By the way, Paul talks about the last days in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, and he says this. He describes the, bad, the, the badness of the last days in verse 1. Understand this, that in last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. And look at the stipulation here. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And disobedient to parents is sandwiched between abusive and ungrateful. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and proud, by the way. So you have proud, pride, arrogance, ab abuse, disobedient to parents, and then you have ungrateful, unholy. How many people blame their parents simply because they have a lack of gratitude? simply because they can never find the good things that their parents did for them. And I will say to those of you who right now you're saying, I have a hard time honoring my parents. Can you find something that they did good? I mean, really? 
Was your father just beating you 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Is that really what your upbringing was? Then you should have called the police. <laughs> and I know children can't always <laughs> do that. And but I'm 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 exaggerating here because with every bad parent, I'm sure there were good parts of that parent's life in your involved in your life. And on ingratitude is the root of bitterness, really, that leads to blaming other people for what's wrong in your life instead of taking responsibility. Inherent in this commandment is a kind of a, I don't know what you want to say, a subliminal command to take responsibility for your life and stop blaming mom and dad. That's really inherent here. How, how long are you going to hold their sins against them? How long are you going to be a victim of what they've done? How long? Until you're 40? Until you're 50? You know, when you turn 40, chances are you've lived more life outside of your parents' home than inside your parents' home. So if you're still blaming them at 40 for who you are, maybe take a good hard look at who you chose to be around from age 20 to age 40. And you say, well, I lived with my parents until age 36. That's just because... <laughs> You never decided to take responsibility for yourself. So maybe it's appropriate that you mentally or emotionally blame mom and dad. I know I'm being harsh here, but this is near and dear to my heart, maybe because I had great parents um, and I have great children and I'm blessed and I'm fortunate in that respect. And I do struggle with empathy. I will tell you that. Uh, so maybe there's a little bit of that there. But the reality is, is that I think we have strayed far away from this commandment to our own detriment, to the fact where, to the point where we have Qatari government literally parenting our children who grow up with an ax to grind against their parents and their parents' philosophies, and it's leading to a cultural revolution, which we are seeing right now. My thoughts. That's my thoughts, okay? If you don't like them, start your own YouTube channel. <laughs> Leviticus talks about this being an, an attitude of holiness. Leviticus 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, you got him holy. That means separate. That means uh, you're distinct. And, and how are we going to be, be distinct? Every one of you shall revere. Now, this is different than the word honor in Hebrew. Revere here in Hebrew is yare. It means to fear, to stand in awe of, to have a, a, a reverence for, to revere, right? You reverence your mother and your father. And you keep the Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn aside to idols. By the way, this there is an inclusio here in the Leviticus text. Inclusio means that the thought begins and ends. This, par this section begins and ends with the same thought. So where it's, it begins in Leviticus 19, it ends in Leviticus 20, re-emphasizing respect for parents by saying the following in Leviticus 20, verse 8, keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you for anyone who curses... And the word uh, kalal can mean to make small or to revile your father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or, or his mother. His blood is upon him. Now that right there is going to stir some feathers. Really death for dishonoring or reviling my parents. Really? This is why I have a hard time with the Torah. Okay. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Let me first give you an even more troubling passage from Torah about what happens to you if you revile your parents. Then I'm going to give you an Old Testament example, and then we're going to circle back to this idea of why it is punishable by death when you dishonor your parents according to Torah. And I will reemphasize again that Torah is an ancient law written to an ancient people. Okay? 
not modern Americans. This is very important. We, we can draw principles from these laws. We do not practice these laws word for word. Nobody gets killed today for dishonoring their parents. And this country is rife with dishonoring their parents. I mean, if that was the case, literally there would be five people alive left in America right now. And they would all be like the most devout Sunday school kids you've ever seen in your life. Anyway, back to the text because I'm getting off, I'm, I'm getting off topic. Uh, scripture teaches us that it is punishable in life when you dishonor your parents. Look at what Proverbs 30 verse 17 says. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. So right there, the Bible, not Torah, but Proverbs is stipulating a principle. You mock mom and dad, you're going to be blind. You're going to be blinded in life. That's what it's saying. Okay, there is an Old Testament example. I told you I was going to give you this example. I will give you this example. You'll never believe it. Maybe you can think about it and guess it and let me know in the comments. Whose eyes were plucked out? And if you stem the trajectory of his life all the way back to where he started to go wrong, it was when he started to dishonor or reject his father and mother's advice. His name is Samson. The Bible says in Judges 16, 21, and the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with chains. I'm sorry, I deleted the text there. Uh, let's go to the Lagos cam and take a look at it. Judges uh, 1621. Yeah. Uh, brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he became a slave. He was blinded and he became a slave to the Philistines. Now, watch this. Let's just go back in Samson's life. Scrolling up on our Lagos Bible cam, verse 1 of chapter 14 in Judges, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up and has told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go take away from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. He was demanding. He was impetuous. He was lustful. He was flirting with the world. He was rejecting his father and mother's advice and teaching and training. And he eventually becomes a slave to them. And he is a picture for Israel of what happened when, when what happens to them when they love the nations around them. Now, some of you are going to say, well, look at verse four, Pastor Tim. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Yes, that's true. Yes. And we've talked about this in Kings of Compromise, that yes, God does use the sinful condition in the hearts of his people to arouse them into um, battle with the enemies that they should be subduing so that they don't get influenced, so that they can be the light of the world and not be a reflection of the world. And so, yes, on many occasions, God does do that, but it does not make permissible what they did in loving strange women and foreign ways. And, and when Samson disobeys his parents' advice, it leads to spiritual and physical blindness in his life. I wonder who's listening to me right now. And because you've chosen to disregard everything about your parents because they did this or they did that, and you have a list of all of the ways they've wronged you, you don't even realize that you have become emotionally blind, mentally blind, maybe even socially blind and relationships have fallen apart all around you because the one relationship that God says, this one you've got to honor, you have chosen to reject God in that area and all your other relationships have shriveled up and have, and you've become increasingly isolated because this relationship 
you will not submit to God. And again, we're going to talk about at the end of this um, episode how to honor uh, hard parents to honor. (laughs) I've got some points for you. So hang in. But back to our teaching, it was punishable by death. Exodus 20, 15. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. That is talking about slave trade. So anybody who says that the Bible is pro-slavery and justified the slavery of the 1800s and 1700s in this country has not read Exodus. Anyone who steals a man and sells him, that's exactly how the slave trade happened from uh, Sierra Leone right over to the coast of um, Virginia in this country. Okay. That was punishable by death. By the way, verse 17 re-ups the idea of if you curse your father or mother, you shall be put to death. So, so are we seeing God's heart here that if you disobey your mother and your father, if you dishonor them, not disobey, dishonor them, you're dead. And I said this last week, I will say it again, because the Sabbath, disobeying the Sabbath brought death. Brought death. Disobeying the Torah brings death. That's not arguing. There's no argument for that. Death is a picture, however, of a deeper reality spiritually. Here's the picture that this is bringing. Death is a disconnection from community. That's the picture here. When you dishonor your parents, you disconnect from community. You're as good as dead and your society is as good as dead. When a society sees mom and dad separated from children and there's a dishonoring spirit there, that society is bound for death. The Old Testament is giving you a picture of the consequences of dishonoring parents. That's how we're supposed to read this text. And um, by the way, there is no example in 3,000 years of Jewish history ever where a child was put to death for dishonoring their parents. Now, let me show you another difficult text, and this is what we're going to do from now on in the Torah studies. We're going to look at some difficult texts and uh, get really into them, in a, like I said, in a couple of weeks. But, but let me show you this text from Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21:18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the, of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, Right off the bat, you have every reason in your heart right now to get all worked up. Are you kidding me? Are you? This is the Bible. I'm supposed to believe that all of this is God's word when he's literally saying, take your rebellious son to the to the gate of the city, to the basically the court of the city, the town hall of the city. And everybody just stones the kid for what talk spouting off at the mouth at mom and dad. This is the Bible. Okay, I hear you. Skeptic, I hear you. (laughs) Are you ready to be an adult and to look at this more? Um, rationally, because there are some really cool principles that we can draw from this text. Number one, this is an ancient world context. And in the ancient world, and even in the modern world, fathers and mothers have been known to murder their children indiscriminately. In fact, fathers, obviously, far more than mothers. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the Roman world, in Jesus' day, did you know that a father had the right to put his son to death for any reason whatsoever. 
and a father and only the father of a Roman house decided whether or not the child should live past a few days. He would hold the child up. If he did not like the child, he would put the child on a dunghill. They'd leave the child to die. That's how the Romans treated fatherhood and a parental and parental authority. By the way, the, the Muslim world, Islamic world still believes in many parts of the Islamic world in honor killing. Honor killing is when your, your child shames you by getting pregnant out of wedlock or disrespecting you publicly. And a parent has the right, according to Islamic rule, uh, Sharia law, not according to the Quran. So I just want to make sure I'm fair there. Not in the Quran, but according to Sharia law, Islamic law, in some parts of the Islamic world, honor killing is still a thing where parents kill their children. Go back to the ancient world, Mesopotamia, and the places where the Israelites came out of. And yes, yes, parents put their children to death with great regularity, with impunity. Uh, Yale historian Jonathan Spence details how in China, 18th century China, this is the 1700s, uh, a father killed his son, buried him alive, and the Ministry of Punishments carefully reviewed the facts of the case and concluded that the father was reasonable in, in that punishment of his son and the father was acquitted of all charges. This is as early, as recent as the 1700s in China, a non-biblically, non-Judeo-Christian-influenced society. Uh, parental killing of children is as old as human beings. The one society and the one law, listen to this, that said, I'm going to rein you in here, is Torah. Don't read Deuteronomy 21, 18 as God saying, I give you permission to have the whole town come together and kill your rebellious children. That's not what he's saying. Here's what God is doing. God is removing the unilateral authority of a parent over their child's life because you cannot now do this without the consent and notice of the whole community. Look at, look at verse uh, 20. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son, this son of ours is rebellious and stubborn. He is a glutton and drunkard. And then all, verse 21, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. By the way, back up where it says in verse 19, his father and his mother will bring him to the gate. So just think about this if you're a father and mother, if you're a married couple and you have children, how often is one parent harsher when the other parent is softer or vice versa and you balance each other out? What do you think the odds are for both parents to be willing to take the rebellious son to the gate of the city? And what are the chances on top of that to have the entire eldership of the city agree that yes, we are all going to take a stone and literally throw them at this kid until he dies. Those chances are one in a billion. And in fact, again, like I said, there is zero um, historical evidence that this ever occurred. You have to read Torah rightly. Torah is saying God is restricting even the evil inclinations of parents, by the way, just back up in Deuteronomy 25. Let's go there. Verse 15, uh, it says this, if a man has two wives, the, loved, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and unloved have borne him children, if the firstborn belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as, as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. What is God saying? Here's what God is doing. This is phenomenal. 
right before God restricts the authority of parents to put to death their children, he also restricts unfair fatherhood, treating children with preferential treatment based on how you relate to the mother. I get, this is not saying take two wives. God blesses that. No, they've been doing that. This Much of the law in the Old Testament is God responding to their wicked ways already. In fact, when we get to divorce and remarriage, we'll talk about that extensive, extensively. But here, you're having them do a Jacob. Jacob took uh, Rachel because she, he loved her, but then he was tricked into marrying Leah, so he still worked the seven years extra to work for Rachel. He loved Rachel's children. We know the story, don't we? Uh, that's Joseph and Benjamin. He favored Joseph. It really led to a lot of hurt in the family. The brothers disowned Joseph, hated Joseph, sold Joseph into slavery. The whole family ends up in Egypt. The whole family and the nation ends up in slavery because Jacob preferred Rachel's children over Leah's children. And the brothers hated it, and the sons, the other sons hated him for it. And hear what God is doing. God is limiting. Here's what he's doing. The Torah does this repeatedly. Limiting the inclinations of human sinful hearts that would treat people wrongly. And it starts to open up. Okay, this is the heart of God with Torah. This is what God is asking us to do. This is how Torah is speaking to us. God is taking us hand in hand. Remember, 10 fingers, 10 laws. We talked about this. He's taking us by the hand. He's saying, I need you. I need you to come away from sinful inclinations and acting how you feel and acting how people on this world act naturally. And I need you to start acting like me. I'm a fair and just and loving God. And this is what I do. Okay, that's how you get to. Now, let's let's talk to, let's go back to uh, the communal responsibility aspect of honoring your father and mother, because not only is Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21 saying that God is restricting uh, the rights of the parents from murdering their own children, and every parent who's ever wanted to murder their own children said amen. <laughs> but here's the second part of this stipulation. God is giving children a higher sense of communal accountability. The, you mean to tell me that the elders of the city are on my parents' side? Yes, yes. And mom and dad should be acting together in disciplining you. So fathers and mothers, hear me. This is good teaching for you right now. Mom and dad should have a communal aspect to punishing children. They should agree together how to punish the children. Um, you should have a communal family, a faith family that partners with you here, holds you accountable and speaks to you about some things that your children are doing. We don't want as, as pastors and leaders, we don't want to interfere. But if you've got pastors and elders, come to them, ask them, here's my child. What should I do? That's why God gives you pastors and elders. Now, a, a little anecdote personally from, from me and Cheryl, who have raised three children. We're in the process of raising our third. Our, our two oldest are in college, but the two oldest, we used to do this. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of wrong and I don't recommend it, but it is what we used to do. Um, when we were in a restaurant and one of our oldest was acting out and we couldn't, we couldn't restrain them no matter what we did. My, my wife and I, my wife actually came up with the idea. She would point to a stranger in the restaurant and she would say, do you see that man over there? He is a child discipline agent and he is going to come over here and discipline you if you don't stop acting out. I can't tell you how powerful that was for my children. They would immediately quiet down. And my wife and I called it the that man principle. So as soon as they would act out and we couldn't control, hey, that man. <laughs> so one of us would say it. And that sense of communal accountability 
elevated our authority in the eyes of our children and in empowered our parenting. It did not disable our parenting. This is the value of Torah. Now let's talk about how the, the law was abused in Jesus' day. Just for frame of reference, Matthew 15, 3, it says this. Jesus said to the, um, the Pharisees who were questioning him about washing his hands or eating uh, with, with unwashed hands. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded on your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. So he quotes Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus right there in that verse. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. For the sake of your tradition, you have made the word of God void. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay, what's Jesus talking about? The Pharisees had a little workaround for honoring parents who were growing old and were no longer a financial asset to the family. They would, they would designate all their possessions as Corbin. Corbin was a word for desi- uh, uh, dedicated to God. So here's what the Pharisees would do. This is how evil their hearts were. They would say, my possessions are devoted to God. So I am going to give everything that I have to God. But then they would just discrim- indiscriminately use the possessions as they saw fit. But they would have this little, you know, verbal or emotional or mental stamp on it. Say, this is God's stuff now. My stuff is God's stuff. So I've given it to God. And I can't give it to my parents because they're not God. And that would be putting someone before God. And so <laughs> Jesus calls them out on this. He says, boy, you're, you're playing some real verbal religious gymnastics here to break the commandment of God, which clearly says that you should honor your parents and take care of them as they grow older. And, and you're following tradition. And really what it is, it's the greed of your hearts. Remember, the Bible says that the Pharisees loved money. Now, today we have Social Security. In many ways, Social Security is the fulfillment of the fifth commandment, although it is a bit of an impersonal fulfillment of the, of the fifth commandment. Uh, nursing homes, I don't like, I don't recommend. I think that you should at, at, in any way you can take care of mom and dad in your home. Uh, I understand that some of them get so sick, you cannot possibly do it. I understand that. Uh, but I think that we are losing in many respects, the personal interconnectedness from one generation to the next. Uh, and that is what Torah is trying to, um, restrain the evil of our hearts to follow money rather than to honor our parents. Just like we can follow money at the expense of having children, we can follow money at the expense of a good relationship and a healthy relationship with our parents. This is the heart of Torah. This is the heart of God. Okay? Inherent in this law is one more thing. I have talked about it from every angle. I, this is a full, that's why we call it the deep dive study of this law. Let me put this up on the screen. It's a law to parents. Conduct yourself in an honorable fashion. Inherent in the law, honor your father and mother, is the words to parents, be honorable. Yes, you have a responsibility here. Be honorable so that your children will honor you. And we talked about this last week where the the commandments are always challenging both sides of every issue. We should be caring for each other. You know, you give a 16-year-old boy a driver's license and suddenly he starts to tweak up his responsibility level, doesn't he? I've seen this firsthand with my own son. Then you give that son a car or he buys his own car. Isn't he out there washing it, taking care of it, making sure that he babies and pampers that car? What happened? You gave him responsibility. You gave him something and he took responsibility. This is important for um, parents to hear. Your children are God giving you the keys to a brand new Mercedes, something far more valuable than that. Baby them. Take care of them. Not baby them, but you know what I'm saying. Um, Take responsibility for them. Be honorable. Be responsible. Be someone that they can look up to and respect and revere. Inherent in the command is that reality. And here we go. This is really going to drive it home. 
a case can be made that at the heart of every atheist is a broken relationship with a dishonorable parent. Uh, I'm reading a book, a phenomenal book on fatherlessness and atheism. The title of the book is Faith of the Fatherless, The Psychology of Atheism. It's by a guy named Paul Witz. And he quotes, the premise of the book is on a quote by Sigmund Freud. The quote there is on the screen. Religious ideas have arisen from the same need as have all the other achievements of civilization from the necessity of defending oneself against the crushing superior force of nature. And this guy does a brilliant job of turning that what what um, psychologists and, uh, you know, therapists call wish fulfillment, uh, wish fulfillment theory from Sigmund Freud. So religion is just wish fulfillment. We wish there was a big, you know, cosmic daddy out there that would take care of us. So this author does a phenomenal job with documented research and studies finding using Sigmund Freud's words against himself and saying, what Sigmund Freud says there when he refers to the fact that we need to defend ourselves against nature, that's real. Nature's scary, right? Tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, plagues, COVID-19, <laughs> or vaccines. <laughs> nature is scary. Who's going to protect me? Dad. That's what dads do. Dads protect. They're strong. They are a picture of God. And, and so he does this with phenomenally detailed research on how many notable atheists had a disparaging or destructive or absent relationship with their father, most notably Freud himself. And uh, he goes deep, man. And I'm going to share with you a couple of the examples. So, Oh, but back to the idea is that when you don't have that protective force of a father, that protective force of a father behind you or in front of you, shielding you from nature, uh, all you're left with is yourself. So fatherless children start to rely on self far more than fathered children and they grow up and then that metamorphosizes in their mind to who needs God? I've taken care of myself emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. So who needs some big cosmic daddy when I didn't have a physical daddy anyway in the first place? Powerful stuff, powerful postulation. Again, it's a theory. I submit it to you that way, but fatherless and the atheism, let me just go through the list here. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche's father was a pastor. He died when Nietzsche was five years old. He was passionately attached to his father. It was a shock to his system when his father died. He was raised, surrounded by women, and had no good fatherly figure in his life and eventually became one of the most notable fathers or voices of atheism. David Hume, father died when he was two years old. And from his writings, you can kind of pick up on the fact that he really resents the fact that his father died and he had to face life without him. Bertrand Russell, his father died when he was four years old. His mother died two years earlier. He was raised by his grandfather, but his grandfather died when he was six years old. And then he was raised by a very legalistic grandmother who had, according to him, a very mournful Christian humility. Um, he, he, he writes extensively about that. John Paul Sartre, his father died when he was 15 months old. His mother remarried when he was 12. And the new father, the new husband, did not want anything to do with John Paul. And that birthed a resentment against male figures and um, ultimately God. Albert Camus, he, his father died when he was one. Uh, Thomas Hobbes, his father was an abusive alcoholic and a vicar of the Anglican church. Abused his wife, abused Thomas. You can understand why he grew up to be an atheist because not only 
only was dad not protecting you, dad was abusing you. Uh, Voltaire, not technically an atheist, but a very staunch critic of Christianity. His mother died, father sent him to Jesuit boarding school, later found out that he was the illegitimate son of a family friend and not the son of his father who was married to his mother. Sigmund Freud's father was unable to provide for the family. He was also a weakling and allowed people to disrespect his Jewish heritage with impunity. And Sigmund observed that and grew up hating and resenting his father for it. H.G. Wells lost his father uh, I'm sorry, his father lost his job when H.G. was very young. Uh, he never really earned a living. He spent all his money at pubs and drinking. And when he died, H.G. Wells showed no, absolutely no remorse or grief. Uh, more recently, Mattery, Mal, Madeline Murray O'Hare, the, the, the mother of secularization of our schools, Americans, uh, she had a horrible relationship with her father, stemming what her own son supposes to be physical or mental or emotional abuse of Madeline. She once threatened him with a butcher knife, chasing him around trying to kill him, and often spoke of killing him in other family events, according to Madeline's own son's testimony. Uh, Richard Dawkins, a very notable atheist. Uh, this is a sad story. He was sent to an Anglican boarding school by his parents where he was sexually molested by a Latin teacher who worked for the Anglican school. That's his own testimony. You can understand why he's an atheist. Christopher Hitchens talks about how his father barely talked to him. He was called the commander because he worked for the Royal Navy in Britain. Um, lost his position in the Royal Navy. Eventually could not put a job together, could not provide for the family. His mother then committed adultery, uh, left him and his father. And instead of repenting, his mother and her lover committed suicide together in a hotel room. That's Christopher Hitchens' upbringing. And you can just see, you can just see the testimony of atheists throughout the generations that where mom and dad don't act honorably, children lose faith in God. The point that I'm making is simply this, parents, be honorable. And by the way, and this is a law, a little addition, love your spouse, love your spouse, but be honored by your children. So, so much of uh, the breakdown of the modern family leads to parents being best friends with their children. No, be best friends with your spouse and have that love relationship first and foremost. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about. Honoring authority. It all comes down to this. You are honoring the place of authority. You are acknowledging the place of authority in the home. You are first beholden to the family you came from. Uh, then you may one day have a family that you sh that should honor you and your children are going to watch how you treat your parents. That's fundamentally what we're talking about. We've wrapped it all up there uh, in this content. Now let me give you some things on how to honor parents who are hard to honor. Number one, pray for them. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Pray for their the transformation of their character. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God will touch their hearts if they're not saved. If they are saved, pray that God will change their hearts. Number three, disagree, but disagree with respect. If you don't agree with them, do so with great respect and honor. Number four, thoughtfully and biblically point out their error. If there is an error, and it has to be a biblical error, abuse, neglect, right? It can't be small stuff. You can't be, well, I don't like how you... Um, you know, you didn't take me to piano lessons. You took me to baseball lessons or whatever, you know, like that, the Raymond, the Ray uh, Barone ideology there. So you have to point out biblical error if that's, if that's a reality in their life toward you. And then finally, be extremely mindful 
of how you speak about them in the presence of others, most notably your own children. So when you maybe disagree with them or, or show them in their faults, you know, your children are watching you and they're taking notes. Whether you believe it or not, they are taking notes. Summing it up here, back to this thought, it is the bridge commandment from loving your God to loving your neighbor. The bridge commandment, the one between, is how we treat our parents. And ultimately, God is asking us to join him in creation, being that bridge from him to the world. And it starts with care for the people that we all become eventually in life, weak, old, and unable to care for ourselves. Will we honor them? Will we show that honor to them? Will we respect them? Will we teach the next generation? That's what we do. Because this is the heart of God, to care for those who are the weakest among us, who are eventually all of us. And in doing so, we reflect and uh, glorify God in our world. Amen. That is the episode, ladies and gentlemen. I, I know it's been long, I trust it has been beneficial to you. Support the channel, Tim Hatch Live Cash App or cash or timhatchlive.com slash support. When you support us, we support Project Rescue and American Bible Society. 10% of all that you give us goes to them because we do not want to be a reservoir of God's goodness. We want to be a river. Like the video, share it, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And then Tuesday night, tune in as we do even more deep uh, discussion of Who's funding our universities and how it is leading to the cultural revolution that we are seeing right now? Ah, uh, wow. I can't wait to get to that content. And then, by the way, next week we have 10 questions with Tim on November, what is it, 2nd? So three times next week you'll see me. Is that too much? Maybe. I don't know. But I'm thankful that you are here. I pray God blesses you. Honor fathers and mothers. After all, when we do so, we show our children how to honor us one day. God bless you.